Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, we're continuing our series uh, with love incorruptible, our series on um, this beautiful and powerful book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and I'm going to ask you a favor this morning, okay? If, uh, if I say something that matters to you today, or if I say something that you know to be true about God, uh, if you'd say amen back, that'd be great. I mean, I, I don't know that y'all realize how much um, the feedback means to the, to the person up here doing the teaching, but, um, but let's, let's go. Ephesians is a powerful book filled with powerful truths. And so, here's something that matters. Let me know it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and this is what the text says. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pray with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray for your grace and your peace and your anointing to be uh, on my life and uh, on these words. And I pray that you would position uh, your people uh, to hear what you have to say to them this morning. And I pray all these holy things in Jesus' name. Amen. Time flies. Sometimes it feels like the days go by so slow, but the years go by so fast. Money can't buy happiness. Love people, not things. Use things, not people. Pride will cost you everything, but leave you with nothing. Ego is not your amigo. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now, church. You're thinking, why is Brock opening his sermon with a bunch of basic white girl quotes, okay? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. All of these quotes that I just shared with you, I think, speak to some truths that are just sort of innate to all of humanity. That these things, the things that I just spoke about, that these things are things that we all know to be true. And when I use the word we there, I'm not just talking about church people, I'm not just talking about Christian people, I'm talking about everybody. Like, I think everybody has a sense that time is flying by. I think everybody on some cellular level recognizes that material things won't satisfy. I think everybody, maybe it's in the subconscious, but I think everybody even if only subconsciously recognizes that the ego shouldn't always be trusted. 
And that might seem like just a silly observation to some of you, but I actually believe that these sort of intrinsic shared values or shared senses are pretty good proof of the existence of God. I mean, how would you know that time is flying by if God hadn't said eternity in your hearts? How would you know that material things won't satisfy unless you were created by an all-satisfying God? How would you know that the ego shouldn't be trusted unless at some point in your life if you heard the faint whispers of the voice of truth on your life? I mean, if there wasn't a God, wouldn't the pace and speed of time just be our default? I mean, it would be all that we had ever known. And wouldn't the pursuit of material things be our highest end? And wouldn't our own egos be the driving force behind all that we did and fulfilling our every desire? But deep down, I think we all have a sense that this world is not our own. I think deep down we all know that the way things are now is not the way they're meant to be. I think deep down, ultimately, we all know better. And that that knowing better is actually proof of something better. That somehow our sort of internal longings for another world, another way, an eternal God, are actually proof that those things are out there. And these aren't just my thoughts. The words of C.S. Lewis in uh, Sheldon Van Aken's book, A Severe Mercy, this is what Lewis says. Listen to his words. He says, uh, do fish complain of the sea for being wet? Or if they did, would that fact itself not strongly suggest that they had not always been or would not always be purely aquatic creatures? Then, if we complain of time and take such joy in the seemingly timeless moment, what does that suggest? It suggests that we have not always been or will not always be purely temporal creatures. It suggests that we were created for eternity. Not only are we harried by time, we seem unable to spot a thousand generations even to get used to it. We are always amazed at it, how fast it goes, how slow it goes, how much of it is gone. Where we cry has all the time gone. We aren't adapted to it, not at home in it. If that is so, it may appear as a proof or at least a powerful suggestion that eternity exists and is our home. You know, I used to think that for a person to believe in God, they needed to lay their intellect down. But the older I get, the more I'm starting to reason that for a person not to believe, they have to lay their intellect down. Because our world is drenched in the glory of God. And from the deepest recesses of our souls, Christ calls out to us. And while it might be a difficult thing for us to learn to hear and to heed the voice of God, I would argue it's an even more difficult thing to try to silence it. Church, don't believe that 
Christianity and academia, that those things have to be antonyms. Some of the smartest people who have ever lived, both women, men and women, were believers. I mean, if you don't believe me, pick up C.S. Lewis, pick up Thomas Aquinas, pick up G.K. Chesterton, okay? People who really dig deep in searching for truth almost always land at Christ. You hear me? Ephesians chapter 2 should be the biography of every person who ever lived. Like That's my desire. Those 10 verses that we just read, my desire for all of you is that those 10 verses would be a summary of every single one of your lives, of every single one of your stories. In those three verses, Paul opens by saying, and all of you were dead in your trespasses. Trespasses is just another word for sin. He goes, all of you were dead in sin, and you once walked in the ways of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. Prince of the power of the air is just another word for Satan. All of you were dead in sin, and you were following Satan, and at that time you lived according to the passions of the flesh, and you carried out the desires of the body, and because of this you were children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Paul is speaking here about every person who ever lived aside from Jesus. And he says, all of you were sinners, all of you were broken, all of you made choices that were contrary to the ways and truths of God, and all of you were as lost as the day is long. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we get those two great and glorious words that we sometimes see on bumper stickers when we're driving around town. But God. But God. But God being rich in mercy. But God because of his great love. But God because of his passion for his people. But God reached down and came to our rescue. Now, I know that might sound like a, a cliche to many of you, and maybe it is, uh, but I don't care. The reality is that I think for some of you, those two words should really resonate in your minds because you recognize when you look at your life where you now are and you think about where you could have been, you know those two words are the difference. But God, we go, I was headed in the wrong direction but God changed my course. I was lost and without hope, but God changed my life. I was buried and had collapsed underneath the weight of my sin and guilt and mistakes, but God forgave me and he set me free. That's our story. Church, if God has been your rescuer and your redeemer, and if for you, God has been a God of second chances, I'm going to ask you right now just to say those two words out loud, but God. Say it now. But God. If you're watching online, type it in the comments. But God. Let us know that you're out there. We feel like we're just talking to cameras. Write down those two words. Church, for our non-believing friends, those two words, that's our testimony. But God. You know, Mike Hamlin would be in the grave, but God. Larry Turner wouldn't be sitting in the seat right over there worshiping with us today, but God. 
All of you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but God. When I was in college, 20, 21 years old, uh, it was right after my mom died, I went to visit um, my college pastor at the time, a great pastor named Joe Drummer, and I went to him for counseling because at that time in my life, I felt as lonely as I have ever felt, okay? My mom died, my dad was already dead, my older brother and younger brother, Brad was in school at Wake Forest, and so Derek moved in with him, and so it's just me. And so I go to Joe and I tell him everything that I just told you, I sit with him for like a counseling time, and I said, Joe, I go, I'm, I'm lonely. I feel like it's just me. I feel like I lost my family. And Joe, very empathetically, you know, he, cared, he, he said, I understand what you're saying, and you hurt, uh, and when you hurt, I hurt. Um, but he said, um, I do want you to know that, that your story's not done. He said, I know you feel like you have uh, lost a, a family, but he goes, you're a young man, and I believe that God has a future and a family of your own for you. Because I feel like what you've lost is one day going to be restored to you. Church, I felt like I had lost my family, but God knew about Bethany. I felt like I had lost my family, but God knew about Sophie and Ella. I felt like I'd lost my family, but God knew about Deacon, and God knew about Langston Riggs, and now I got more family than I know what to do with, but God. That, that's my testimony, okay? And that's just one of a thousand but God stories in my life. What are yours? What are your but God's Identify those. Those are your testimonies to a non-believing world. I was headed in this direction but God. Paul is saying here that all of humanity was headed toward destruction, but God sent his son so that we do not have to follow the power or the prince of the power of the air, but we can instead follow the prince of peace. And it's my prayer for all of you that Ephesians chapter 2, that that would be your story, that there would be but God moments that you would recognize that you were dead in your sin, but God sent Jesus and now you're alive with him. That that line would be in every book of every story written about every person in this room. Now I think it's important that we acknowledge here that Christ died for all people. He died for everyone. People of every tribe, tongue and nation, salvation is available to all. The Bible tells us that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. First John chapter two, verse two says it very clearly. This is what the text says. It says Jesus was the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This means Salvation is available to all. Forgiveness is available to all. Mercy is available to all. Grace is available to all. But availability doesn't mean inevitability. Just because something is available to you doesn't mean that it is inevitable. 
that you will embrace it. Christ died for every person ever to live, but not everybody accepts what he offered. Availability doesn't necessitate inevitability. There are a lot of people who aren't going to take hold of the grace that God's love extended to them in Christ. I want you to think about it like this. I think this is a pretty good analogy for Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to imagine that when we were all born, we get thrown into a, uh, a really fast-flowing river. Like we just get dropped right in it. And, and this river is headed uh, for a cliff. The end of it is our destruction. It is our devastation. We stay in that water. Eventually, that's where it's going. And as we grow up and as we age, we begin to try to fight against the current, to push against it, but there's nothing that we can do to reach the shore. I mean, we are stuck. There's nothing we can do to change the course of this river. Like, this is just the direction that things are going to go in. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we feel somebody reach down and grab us by the back of our shirts and lift, up, uh, lift us up out of the water, plugs us out of the water, and sets us on the shore. And there on the shore, we are safe and we are free. Church, this and sending Jesus into the world, this is what God did for us. We were riding the waves and rivers of our culture. He pulls us out, sets us on the shore, and he goes, now you can go whichever way you want to go. You don't have to follow the flow, the river. You don't have to stay with the course of the stream. Now, this is the really interesting thing for me, though, about that analogy, okay? When some people get plucked out of the water and placed on the shore, they spend the rest of their lives worshiping the one who rescued them. Some people get placed there and it becomes gratitude and worship and they begin to work for the one who plucked them from the water. But you know what other people do? Y'all know they jump right back in. I don't get it. Some people get plucked from the river, placed on the sea, but apparently they like the way the water feels and so they just jump right back in to the water headed for their destruction. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, we live in a world where human beings left to themselves will not only choose the wrong direction, but remain cheerfully confident that it is in fact the right one. Listen to me, church. If you have ever been plucked from the river, you have no business jumping back in. Do you hear me? If you've ever been plucked from the water, placed on the you have no business putting one foot back in that water. Don't even play. Don't even touch it. Don't try to wade in. Don't even skip rocks in it. Run from it. How many of you have ever heard of uh, the blues musician uh, Robert Johnson? Okay. Robert Johnson... Uh, was, he was born in Mississippi, born in like 1911. He, uh, he died really young, pretty mysterious death, only lived like 27 years. In that time, he recorded two albums, both of them in the 1930s, and uh, he's a pretty amazing guitarist. I mean, he's recognized as one of the best to, uh, to ever do it. He's considered to be a master of the Delta Blues. He's considered to be one of the, uh, one of the grandfathers of rock and roll. I mean, this guy, when it comes to music, he has a reputation of being one of the best. And there was a rumor about Robert Johnson that uh, he had traded his soul for his skills, that he made a deal with the devil to trade his soul for the abilities. Now, 
I in no way believe those stories to be true. I just think a lot of people didn't want to think that somebody so young, somebody from such a rough place, somebody who didn't look like them could be as good as he was. I think people were intimidated by his skill set. I think he made other people feel insecure. And while I don't think Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil, uh, I do think that many of us do. I think that many of us, over the course of a lifetime, make these subtle sort of back alley deals with the father of lies. It's like we meet the devil in the dark and there we trade our heavenly inheritance for some silly and momentary pleasure. I mean, we're like uh, Esau trading his birthright for uh, a bowl of stew. This is what I mean. All of you all know, I really believe that. On some deep level, I believe that all of you know that this world never meant to be your home, and yet you've still made yourselves really comfortable in it. I think all of you know that material things aren't going to satisfy you, and yet you still spend an awful lot of time in pursuit of them. I think a lot of you know that following your ego, the only thing that's going to do is lead you astray, and yet you still go wherever your flesh tells you to go, and you do whatever the flesh tells you to do. I think a lot of people in our world know what's true, and yet they still choose to live according to the lies. I think a lot of people know what's true, and yet they still choose to live according to the lies. And as a pastor, that's the scariest thing. You know, it's not, I'm in no way afraid of the people who feel like their lives are still, they're still going down the stream because I know one day God's going to pluck them out and they're going to feel that and know that. What I'm afraid of are the people who are flowing down that water and they know they've been set free and by their choice they choose to jump back in. Those are, that's, that's the, the people who deep down inherently, intrinsically know this is what's true. This is how I'm supposed to live my life. These are the things I'm supposed to do. And then they still choose to do otherwise. I mean, it's that choice that I find incredibly damning. And these are my words to you this morning, church. And they're, they're simple ones. I own that. Okay, what I'm about to say to you is not complicated, but this is my pastoral appeal to you on this Sunday morning. If you know better, do better. If you know better, do better. Stop pretending that you don't hear the whispers from heaven. Stop pretending like you don't know the truth. Stop pretending to be the Lord of your own life because deep down, I know what you know. I know that you know that time flies. And I know that you know that money won't satisfy. And I know that you know that the ego shouldn't be trusted. And I know that you know that God rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the sun he loves. And I know deep down you know God is real, Jesus saves, and the kingdom is advancing. Stop pretending like you don't know the things that you do know, and how about we get to work? We got work to do. Let's believe it. 
Let's receive it. Let's stay on the shores and let's worship and let's get to work. Pray with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, help your people today to hear and to heed your voice. Anything that I said, not of you, wash it from their minds and from their ears. Anything that I said that smells like you, sounds like you, let it resonate in their heads. God, we are so grateful in our lives for the but God moments. I don't even like to think about where I might be if not for you and your grace and your touch and the way that you, the way that you changed me and changed my life. Move in our worship. God, there's somebody in the room today and they know there's, there's somebody here and when I'm talking about jumping back into the water, they, you spoke to them and you said, you know, that's, that, that's where they're at. I pray, God, remind them today that you are a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and plump, pluck them back out again. And may they, like David, lie with you in green pastures. Get back on the shore, worship you with everything that they have, and may we get back to work together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.